welcome to the Money Mindset Podcast Series. This is your host, West. These podcasts will help you transform your financial mindset by helping you to identify and eliminate all the subconscious blockages and poor conditioned beliefs related to money that are holding you back from making the money you know you're worth. It's made a huge difference to our income levels and we want to share exactly how we did it with you. Be sure to listen to all the podcasts so you don't miss anything important. Let's get straight into it. Yeah, so once you're all set up and you're holding gentle eye contact with the person, your partner then says to you, imagine you were exceedingly rich. How would your mother feel about that? Now, what that um, question is designed to do is it's designed to identify any subconscious blockages that you might have that have developed as a result of the relationship with your mother. Oftentimes, our subconscious blockages are things that uh, were developed at a very young age. And we'll have a look at some examples of those a little bit later on. But oftentimes, they're things which developed around the age of two, three, or four, so when you were very young. Um, Obviously, one of the key people in your life at that stage is generally your mother. And so oftentimes, some of these subconscious blockages can come about as a result of your relationship with her. So once you've been asked that question, you simply speak whatever comes into your mind first. Uh, it's about not censoring what it is that you're saying. It's about simply going with your gut reaction and saying whatever words um, come out. If you find that you um, start to run out of comments um, or if things just stop, then it's okay for your partner to ask you that question again to start the words flowing again. So imagine you were exceedingly rich. How would your mother feel about that? Now for the partner, it's very important that the partner not show any emotional reaction. Continue to hold eye contact, but if the partner starts to nod or smile or frown, then quite often the person who's doing the speaking can start to censor what they're saying in order to get um, a reaction that they like out of the partner. Yeah, this is an important point that uh, to make this exercise work correctly, that you, as a partner, uh, you don't give any feedback to reinforce or to cast judgment on any question on, on any response that, that the person who's giving the response says so for example when she says uh, imagine you're exceedingly rich how would your mother feel about that and if the, I say oh well I'd feel I think she'd feel really happy for me or whatever she might say if you're a partner listening to that don't nod or smile or say oh my mother wouldn't think that way it's, it's irrelevant what you're thinking just hold eye contact and, and don't give any uh, response um, now this will be contrary to what we're taught to do in our um, general relationships and it um, might take you a little bit of practice to get that right so just, just do your best there as a partner um, now once you've done that question uh, how would your mother feel about that you keep asking the question till you feel like you've gotten through um, you've, you've dug up as much as you can on, on that particular question then you can move on to the next next question from there and the next question is um, and how does that make you feel so after you've talked about how your mother would feel about you being rich 
the question, your partner then asks you the question, and how does that make you feel? In other words, how do you feel about your mother's reaction? So if your mother is proud of you, if your mother is fearful for you, um, if your mother is happy for you, whatever your mother's reaction is that you've just described, you then reflect on how you feel about that particular reaction of your mother's. Do, would you like to give an example, Daryl, and we might do it together so that way uh, people can hear how it sounds and that way it's... Um, it, 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 it's a bit easier than we're probably describing it, so it's a little bit difficult. So um, I will be the person uh, who's answering the question. Uh, Daryl will be the, my partner who's working with me, and she'll ask me the question, and then I'll give the response. Okay, so we're now sitting face-to-face, and you can probably hear the helicopter going past in the background because we're still at the beach here. Okay, he's on his way. Good. <laughs> okay, we're now sitting here face-to-face holding eye contact, and I say to Andrew... Imagine you were exceedingly rich. How would your mother feel about that? I feel like she'd be very happy for me, but in some ways she'd be a little bit concerned that it might spoil me. Imagine you were exceedingly rich. How would your mother feel about that? Yeah, I, I think that uh, she'd be concerned that it would spoil me and she might see that money is... Um, is the root of all evil at, uh, from her background. Uh, you, can have, you can have money, but not too much money would be her response, I think. Imagine you were exceedingly rich. How would your mother feel about that? Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think she would be um, uncomfortable, a, a little bit with it, but unhappy. She'd be conflicted with it, I, I believe. She'd probably be conflicted with it and... Uh, and uh, where she'd like to have a lot more, um, she'd like to have a lot of, um, she likes to see her kids get ahead, but I don't think she doesn't want to see her kids spoiled, and she wants them to know good work ethic, and she wouldn't like them to run into the traps that come with wealth. And how does that make you feel? Yeah, well, I, I always want to sort of try and get my mother's approval, or, or and be, and make have her watch watch have her be proud of me so um i'd probably be a little bit sad that if i did get rich and she wasn't proud of me in that in that way how does that make you feel yeah probably sad mm. so what we've done there is um you might have heard that I was stumbling a little bit when I was actually doing that exercise because uh, we actually were doing eye to eye at that point in time. What you'll find is because you start triggering alpha activity, um, you might find it hard to string your words together. The problem with alpha activity is that it's actually a, um, it's in that creative side of your brain where speech and um, is a logical function which is more beta activity and so uh, don't be surprised if you're not speaking correctly <laughs> at the time where you, you, you're stumbling a little bit with it. Um, those sort of answers were just, just example answers. You might have something totally different uh, when, when you're dealing with that, with that activity, but it's just to give you a bit of an idea and, and uh, an example. It could be to something totally different as well. The whole point of this exercise is to help you identify some possible blocks and give you some, some points of reference to work off. Uh, you might be totally fine with your mother um, or or whatever. So we'll give you some other questions that you can ask. Sorry, just before you go oh, on, um, just in hindsight, analysing that afterwards, you'd sit there and you'd um, 
think about what your responses were and you'd probably jot down a blockage which is about um, a fundamental belief perhaps that money is the root of all evil. So some fears that go along with making a lot of money. It's okay to make some money but if you make a lot of money then there are dangers associated with that. And if you have that as a fundamental um, subconscious belief then that will probably influence the amount of money that you are able to actually make and so it's worth actually exploring and addressing that issue. Yeah. And in that example once again too, um, while I don't uh, I might not buy into that that belief of my mother's. My my pattern might be to try and please my mother, and if she has that pattern, I might forego um, being wealthy just so I can make my mother happy, happy and comfortable. It's not that I have a problem with money itself, but I might be have an overriding uh, belief that I need to keep my mother happy and do the right thing by my mother. Um, so they're just examples to give you a bit of an idea of. of um, of what might be happening at your level. That could be totally different, so don't get caught up in that particular one that we just used. It's just an example. Something else I might say about that exercise too is that um, don't be surprised if you actually bring up um, a high level of emotion. It's not uncommon when you're doing this sort of exercise to uh, really tap into some fairly deep-seated emotional issues, particularly if your relationship um, with your mother or We'll have a look at some of the other relationships that we're going to explore in a minute, particularly if your relationship with one of these key people hasn't been ideal in the past. Um, so recognise that there is the possibility that um, you're going to get quite emotional about it. Allow yourself some time for it and spend a bit of time really reflecting on what it is that's come up. We do store a lot of stuff in our subconscious and uh, while it's generally healthy to, to bring that out, it can be quite upsetting at the time. So just a little word of caution. Yeah. Also understand that um, when you're picking your partner to work with in this exercise, uh, it's good to have somebody who's, uh, who's fairly trusted, uh, who you can trust and um, who you're comfortable with as well, um, talking about how you feel about things. Uh, it's no point if you, you're sitting with somebody who you feel like you have to censor your reactions with. Uh, so try and pick somebody who you can be totally yourself and open with. Um, so what we, we move on to, we repeat that exercise, but what we, we do there is we deal with other formative uh, people in your life. So we've got, uh, we've dealt, we talk about your mother, your father, uh, your God or your perception of God. Uh, also your friends or, or your peer group. Um, and uh, and yourself. So we'll we'll word those questions again for you, so you can just um, so you can take note as we go through. So Daryl, do you want to do that? Mm. So you go through exactly the same process, but each time you change the wording. So the the second one that you do is imagine you were exceedingly rich. How would your father feel about that? And then once you've answered, and how does that make you feel? The third one is, imagine you were exceedingly rich, how would your God feel about that? And then once you've answered, again, how does that make you feel? Then imagine you were exceedingly rich, how would your friends feel about that? And then once you've answered, how does that make you feel? And then finally, imagine you were exceedingly rich, how do you feel about that? And then answer that, and then how does that make you feel? Once you've gone through that exercise, and it could well take you an hour to get right through that, don't be surprised if it takes a bit of time to, uh, to cover everything, write down any comments that seem significant to you in terms of um, the programs or the issues that came up, the subconscious blockages about money. 
if you are the partner, if you're a partner or if, if you're instructing your partner on how to do this, um, use your gut reaction a little bit or your gut feel and if you feel like you have to keep, if they're not, if the person's not giving you the full story, keep asking the question and, and dig in there a little bit. Sometimes people might need a little bit of prodding to come out with the, um, come out with the reaction that, that, um, that identifies the block. The other thing is to, to um, just give your first reaction as well. Don't try and censor it even if it doesn't make sense to you. Just say what you get, what's, on your, what's floating around in your mind at the time. Okay. In, in the last part of this talk, what we're going to do is we've spent quite a bit of time showing you how to identify your blockages. We've talked about using goal books then to um, address some of those blockages and to achieve uh, what it is that you want to achieve. But we're also going to tell you about a couple of other techniques that we use in order to um, address any uh, negative subconscious blockages that we have. Before we do that, we might just quickly go through some of the blockages that we identified using the techniques that, uh, that we just spoke about. And we'll also tell you what we ended up changing those blockages to, because it's very important that your subconscious not just remove a block, but that you actually replace it with something new. Your subconscious isn't very good at working on the absence of something. And oftentimes, again, that's why it's difficult to do something like lose weight or stop smoking, because those things are, are all about an absence of something as opposed to moving towards something positive. So we might just quickly go through what some of our blockages were so we're, we've got some concrete examples and give you an idea of what we were doing and then we'll talk about the techniques. Just, just one point before we do that, I just wanted to bring you back to the actual blocks themselves. Don't feel like they have to be anything dark and sinister. Sometimes they can be silly um, things that you might not think are, are relevant but they're just ways of thinking and they don't seem to have um, much... Um, they don't have to be a problem that you were when you were a younger kid that was a big problem that happened to you and, and things like that. Sometimes it's just something that was said or a way that you looked at a particular event and it's just set up a program from a young age. So just understand that the silly little things sometimes can have the big effects on you as well. It doesn't need to be a big major event or, or a big major belief system that you've, that you've that you've brought up. Mm, good point. And sometimes they can even be things that on the surface seem quite positive. Um, one of the examples for me, and we're, while we're going through these, we might as well talk about that one first. One of the blocks that I had um, that we uncovered was my self-worth comes from my work achievements. And um, I identified that the cause of that was very much about um, the way I was brought up, I was always taught, you know, work hard, be a valuable member of society, always contribute. And to me, that's a great work ethic to have. And it's not something that I'd want to lose. But the way I had translated that was that um, I needed to work hard in order to earn money. And so I found myself in a seven-day-a-week job, earning a high hourly rate, but still trading time for money. Um, and so even though I believe it's still quite a, a positive belief to have, um, it was something which was certainly holding me back in terms of uh, earning passive income. So it doesn't even need to be something, um, something necessarily bad or that appears sinister, as Andrew said. So we might go through these beliefs now and, and also talk to you about what we change them to um, as, we, as we go along. The first one that we had was um, earning money requires hard work. If it's too easy, um, I feel guilty. And I think that uh, is, is related to the one that we just talked about in that, um, you know, there's the expectation of work hard and do well type of thing. And, and I know a, a number of people that have that same. 
yeah, program. You hear people talk about this, you never get something for nothing or there's no free lunches and, you know, if they're... Uh, if it's too good to be true, if it, it probably it is. Probably is. Mm. Uh, so that, or a lot of that revolves around this require you have to actually, the re, the amount of work, the amount of reward you get is directly related to the amount of uh, work or hard work that you put in. And um, so uh, you need to question, question that belief because if you want to make massive amounts of money uh, and if it requires massive amounts of work, then... Uh, a lot of people just haven't got that time or, or the energy or the inclination to do that, so therefore they stay poor, getting mm. medium amounts of money for medium amounts of work. One way that you can mm. recognise whether or not you have a belief like that is when you listen to us say that, earning money requires hard work, um, if you have an immediate reaction which is, well, but that's not a subconscious belief, that, that's just true, it just is then you know that it probably is one of your blockages that you could probably address. If it just feels true to you, uh, then there's a good chance that it is something that, uh, that you do have as a subconscious belief there and, and that you may want to address. The, the um, affirmation or the belief that we changed that one to was money comes easily to me. And it was as simple as that, just a replacement, money comes easily to me. The second example uh, of a, a block that we decided we wanted to change was really good opportunities are scarce. We'd spent about um, four years, I guess, trying to find a way to make um, passive income and we'd tried lots of different ways to do it. So you remember we set our goal in the year 2000 that in the year 2005 we would retire from our consulting, uh, our full-time consulting business. Um, and for the first four years of that five years, we were really frustrated because we'd done lots of things that just didn't seem to be working, um, really bashing our heads against a brick wall in some case. Uh, so for example, um, we built a substantial property portfolio and while, our, while the asset value was going up considerably, it wasn't doing anything for us in terms of passive income. In fact, we were working harder to pay the shortfall in the mortgage um, to, to keep the whole thing going. So it really was locking us even further into um, earning money requires hard work. So these things were, were actually compounding. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember we, um, and this is probably a point that you might need to realise that um, uh, when you're setting your goals for these things is to understand that uh, just to be wealthy might not do it for you, what you actually really want. Uh, we, we set a goal that we um, wanted to be... Um, we wanted to be millionaires, and uh, uh, when I remember having a distinct conversation with Daryl, and we were doing our sums, and we we had got to our first million and uh, in, in value, in, in net worth, and so after we sold everything and paid everybody back, we would have a million dollars and more sitting there, and we're going and we're saying to ourselves, well, we don't feel like millionaires, <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, and we we realize that uh, it's actually the lifestyle that we're after and not just having the, the network. So we had written a goal, we achieved a goal and we were, we were there but it actually wasn't what we were after in really. So it was the lifestyle that came from income and it wasn't active income, it was passive income that we were after and that's when we really nutted our, uh, sat down and really targeted the goal that we needed to address. Mm. So Instead of the belief really good opportunities are scarce, we changed that one to great opportunities are everywhere. The related one was um, the negative belief that passive income is hard to generate. And the belief we changed that to was passive income is easy to generate once you know how. 
um, and that one was very much tied in with the, uh, the presence or absence of opportunities. The next one was a key one for me and that was I need to take things stepwise and build up knowledge and experience. I've always been very much into learning and training and um, always had that sense of, gosh, if I don't have a degree in it, what right do I have to be out there doing it or being successful at it? And so I tend to overanalyse things, or I did, used to overanalyse things before I would um, actually take a, a step and, uh, and apply the information. So we ended up changing that to, I have more than enough knowledge and experience to act now. And that was actually quite liberating, I think, for me particularly. To, um, to actually take the step and do stuff without feeling that I had to have read every single book and been to every single training program before I actually took action. Or every seminar. <laughs> <laughs> or bought somebody else's uh, online pr mentoring program. Yeah, not, yeah. not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was adding it up the other day. I think we've spent something like $70,000 over the last three years in training ourselves in this stuff. So we do reinvest in our business, absolutely. Mm. And that, that's another thing, but it, but understand that you uh, just go out and do something. Don't wait till you got it all 100% correct because <laughs> mm. you'll never will have it 100% correct. Absolutely. And then once you've got something working at that stage, then you can um, test and measure, adapt, modify, test again, measure. And uh, it really is a much easier um, and less painful way to, to make progress. Mm. The next blockage that we had was an interesting one, um, and that is emotional direct response marketing is shonky. Um, I had a perception that people who use emotional direct response marketing are mostly snake oil salesmen, and the idea that we might be doing any emotional direct response marketing was horrifying to me. In fact, I think I said to Andrew at, at one stage, um, if you get into this stuff, just make sure you don't tell any of our friends that you're doing it. <laughs> so I was allowed to do it, but I had to sneak around at night. So. Um, and now here we are giving presentations all over the world about it. Yes. So the, the, the idea of this, and, um, and once again, this, this comes, it's, it's not a, a logical argument. Uh, while Daryl could put a logical argument up about it, the, the source of it comes from you know, past experiences and, and just programs that were developed. Um, so we changed that to uh, emotional direct response marketing is innovative and uh, identifying that block and, and re reprogramming it and so on. Now interesting thing is once you start, once you start um, changing your belief system in that area you start to run into people and meet people and so on who's, who are you know honest, kind um, and very generous giving people uh, and guess what? They're direct response marketers. <laughs> so you start mm. to, your reality uh, starts to come in into line with your belief systems, and so easier to change your beliefs and your reality at sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely, it's mm. definitely believe it, and then you'll see it, as mm. opposed to the other way around. I firmly mm. believe that. Okay, the next one we had, uh, which was an interesting one, and uh, for those of you in America, uh, probably won't relate to this, but. Uh, it was that this American stuff won't work in Australia. Now, you probably have a, um, yeah, you probably hear similar things like that might work for your business, but it won't work in my business, or my industry's different, or my country's different, or my, it won't work in my town. Well, for us, it was, uh, yeah, American stuff won't work here in Australia because we're a little bit above all that, and uh, we don't, um, we, we talk about the American rah-rah stuff that happens sometimes. Well, mm -hmm. basically, that's just bigot bigotry, <laughs> bigoted <laughs> yeah. thinking, and uh, and 
we really had to address that. And uh, when we looked at it, it wasn't American stuff at all. It was just, it was just basically about how uh, human beings react and what direct response marketing, how it worked and um, how it just triggers uh, human human thoughts and human emotions. Uh, consequently, um, we changed that to basically say that um, I have a worldwide market. Now, as we sit here today, we have clients on every continent in on the planet. Almost every continent. Uh, uh, what, what continent? Almost every what? continent, Andrew. You forget Antarctica. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Antarctica. Yes, okay. We're still hanging out for a sale from Antarctica. Antarctica. So, anyone from Antarctica, Antarctica. out there listening? I'll sign up. A <laughs> sign up a penguin or two. Okay, I, I stand corrected. We have uh, con we have clients all over the world except Antarctica. So. Um, but the reason I say that is to demonstrate to you that um, the techniques of direct response marketing that we teach in our mentoring program uh, work with anybody. They work with human beings effectively. So where if you can find a human being, um, that's well, that's you'll, you'll find that these techniques will work. Mm. So those are uh, that, that's the list of the blockages that we addressed. Um, we've covered all of them now, and um, and the things that we actually replaced them with. What we might finish up with is the techniques that we actually use then to um, make that transition, to eliminate those beliefs and to uh, generate some new ones. Um, I might get uh, Andrew just to talk a little bit about probably the most powerful technique which we've used and that's a technique called time tracking because this again is one of his favourites. Okay. Um, Time tracking, it can be as detailed as you want it to be and can, can be as simple as you want it to be. But basically what we're going to do is give you, I'm going to explain a technique which will allow you to um, go back in your memory to identify particular events uh, that have triggered a belief pattern or a thought or an action that you now uh, have in the present. Uh, the easiest way to do this is basically get yourself um, relaxed and go into what we would say an alpha state of mind or um, trigger alpha brainwave activities. Now there's a number of ways you can do this and there's a number of techniques and I'm going to basically let you go find your own way if you've got something that works best for you. If you don't regularly do anything in terms of just sitting and relaxing and, and uh, um, having a, a way of, of meditating for want of a better word um, then uh, just I'll give you a quick example of something that you can do and this, this might work for you so if you just close your eyes uh, relax and take a, f a number of deep breaths take three deep breaths and as you as you're taking those deep breaths just breathe out and relax and get your feel all the tension go out of your body now I'm not going to talk you through this at the right speed because we just don't have enough time to do this today but I'm going to talk you through at a quicker speed listen to the techniques and then in your own time you're going to have to go and apply these once you close your eyes and you relax and you go down uh, uh, into a, a uh, relaxed state just visualize yourself in a passive scene of nature now this is a passive scene that is what is a perfect passive scene for you now it might be walking along a beach it might be sitting on top of a mountain uh, could be walking through a nice green grass uh, field um, could be rowing a boat up a stream, whatever works for you. Just, just visualise a passive scene of nature. If you can't picture a passive scene in your mind, imagine a, a passive scene of nature. Uh, if you work better with smells or, or um, just smell what that passive scene would be, uh, 
if you work better with um, if you work better with um, um, sound, uh, listen listen to um, the the passive scene. How the sound that might be birds singing, it might be waves crashing, a babbling brook, whatever works for you. Once you're in that passive scene, start to get active in that passive scene. And what I mean by active is physically get active in the scene. Now, you might be um, imagining yourself walking through a field of grass. So just bend down and and physically bend down and pretend to pick up a piece of grass. But visualize yourself in your in your mind's eye picking up that piece of grass. You might chew on that piece of grass, or you might walk over and see a tree. So put your arms around and hug it. Now, if I was sitting there watching you do this, I would see you either sitting or standing in your room where you are, and you're getting your arms and you're hugging the tree. Now, you might look silly, but uh, that's what I want you to do. Now, the reason that I want you to get active in your passive scene when you do this is there's part of your brain, as we said before, that can't tell the difference between fantasy and reality. If you start to get physically active in your scene, then you will reinforce the part, uh, reinforce to your brain that you are actually there, you, and it's it's a, it's a real thing. To give you an example of this, um, ask yourself if you, have you ever woken up from a nightmare where you've been have had a nightmare and you've woken up and you've been sweaty, you're breathing fast, you're you're emotionally upset, uh, and your heart's racing. What's basically happened there is your brain has been tricked into thinking that a, a fantasy that you're having in the way of the nightmare is actually really happening and it's created a physical response in your body. Well, what we're doing is going the other way and we're creating a physical response to trick your brain into thinking it's really going on. Now, the reason that we're doing this is to get you more and more into this alpha state um, and while, while, you're starting, while this is happening, um, you'll get more relaxed and start triggering alpha activity. Okay, so let's assume you've done that and you've, um, you're quite relaxed. Once you're there, what, what you can do is just find a, um, set yourself up a, a workbench or a, a table or a chair in your passive scene. Just imagine uh, that it comes into being. Um, you might want to click your fingers, one, two, three, click, and all of a sudden you've got a chair there and a, um, uh, a bench. The other thing that you do then is that you imagine a big screen in front of you, like a big movie screen or a big television screen, whatever suits you best. And then also what you do is you imagine on your left-hand side there's a clock and calendar. Now, I don't know if you remember the old types of clocks and calendars that were in the um, old banks, or the tumble, the tumble calendars, where you'd have the day on the top, then you'd have the month, and then you'd have the year at the bottom of them. And on the right hand side you'd have a little dial that you could turn and that would that would turn everything, uh, the dates and to the right, to right day and date, day, month and, and year. Above that, I also like you to imagine there's a, a standard clock with, a, with hands, hands that you can turn around. Once you've sort of visualised those things, just get yourself comfortable in a seat. Those clocks and calendar should be to your left hand side, screen uh, in front of you. Then what you do is you start to bring to mind the thoughts or the questions that you want to work on. Now that question might be, um, oh, give me a good question here, Daryl, what would m m something specifically that they might want to work on to do well, with I'm money? wondering whether we should actually talk through the example, an example, a real example, perhaps the uh, first time you ever did this one. 
Hi, Kevin. Would that be useful? Right, yeah. Well, what I did is basically, um, I uh, was, first time I did this, exa uh, this one, it wasn't with money, it was basically on that question about why do I struggle with uh, things that are academic. And the thing that came up for me uh, when I was sitting down is I started to bring to mind the feeling of starting to read or being in school and there was a bit of a, there was emotion involved with it. So generally what you want to identify is what's the emotional, the feeling involved in the um, surrounding it around the belief or the, or the problem that you're experiencing. What's the feeling involved in that? And start to bring the mind, bring to mind and start to experience that feeling uh, that, that comes to mind when you're doing that. Once you've got hold of that feeling or you're repeating that question in your mind, why do I have, and for me it was why do I have trouble at school or why do I have, why am I having trouble with academic things? You start to wind back the clock. So you actually physically reach out with your hand and, and, and you start to wind back the clock. And what I do is start to wind back the years in the clock. And I'm looking at the screen of the mind. Now, as I'm doing that, I keep winding it back, winding it back, winding it back until something pops up on the screen. And um, now it might actually jump into your head a particular event or a feeling. And you need to ask yourself what's happening now, what's going on, and start to look at that, that event. For me, when I was doing this, I um, uh, was working with a partner who was helping me. And it might, the same partner you got before might be worthwhile helping you here and they just ask questions what's happening now how are you going just uh, and they just keep asking you you know what are you seeing what are you feeling and how does that affect you and what was happening for me at the time is I was starting to go back in time um, in, in my mind uh, to when I was about three years old now the question I had in my mind is why do I feel why do I struggle with academic uh, results or why do I struggle with academic uh, things or why do I have trouble reading held a bit of fear for me whenever I got into a situation where I'd have to read or do something. I'd wind back the clock and I got back to when I was three years old and I actually, um, it was an event where my brother had snuck over the back fence to go play on the monkey bars, uh, the plague, I think you folk might call them jungle gyms in America. Um, and uh, he jumped over the back fence and I'd followed him, followed him over and I knew I shouldn't have been there. And what happened was uh, we were climbing up the monkey bars and I slipped and fell off and I broke my arm. Um, and I could really have had vivid memories of this arm being broken and I was in a whole lot of pain and my mother came rushing over and everybody was upset and they rushed me off to hospital. Now, I was in hospital and I, and I can vividly remember as a three-year-old being in a cot and for some reason, I don't know why they had me, but they had me out in the hallway uh, in the hospital in a, in a cot in the hallway and there's people sort of walking past me all the time and I can just remember being in this pain and I could see these doctors and nurses walking past me and every so often a doctor would look in at me and then keep walking and a nurse would look in at me and keep walking. And so I can remember being lonely and by myself and in pain um, there. Now, when I was doing this, this was the, I, was, I asked the question, um, why do I have trouble with academic results? And this is the event that was coming up in my mind. Now, I, I was, my partner was saying, well, what's going on now? And I was telling him what was going on, and I was saying to him, look, I don't think if this is working. This is not right. I'm just making this up, and this is, isn't the case. Fortunately for me, my partner was, um, had a, was, was uh, persisted and just said, let's just keep with it for a little bit longer and see what, what comes up. And so we kept going on. And after a while, when the, the, my partner asked me, how does this affect you today with your academic, how does this event 
then affect you today with your academic pursuits. What came to me basically stunned me and uh, it, what had happened as a three-year-old, and keep in mind this is a three-year-old's logic and it might not make sense to you as an adult today, but as a three-year-old I was seeing doctors and nurses going past me and I was in a lot of pain. And I made an association between the doctors and nurses and the pain. The other thing that I did was I, I made an association with doctors and nurses being academic or smart people or people uh, in authority and power. And I made the association with, with smart academic people uh, bring pain or, or academic stuff brings pain. Consequently, as a three-year-old, and three-year-old logic, remember, uh, I started a program at that point saying um, academic pursuits cause me pain. And then I went on and I built on that and I, I made that my reality. So when I turned up at school, I had a program in my head that this will cause me pain. I, and I started to build my reality. I'd start to fail at school and, and, and um, so I failed a test and because I'm a failure that would cause more pain and I just build and build and build and so by the time I got through high school, uh, or didn't get through high school, by the time I decided this schooling thing wasn't for me, uh, I had this massive big program built up in my mind. Okay. Now, you might be able to relate to that, you might not be able to relate to that. Uh, that was that's my story and that's how it worked for me. Daryl had suffered the spiders, uh, which is a different story, but once again from an event in the past. And I've got a list of yeah, literally hundreds of people who have experienced things uh, by using this time tracking method. What you need to do though is, is once you identified something, is how you reprogram it at that point. So what I did is I um, reprogrammed it to the perfect end result for what I want. And understand what I'm saying is the perfect end result for you. You need to look at what's happened in the past and as an adult look at how you want to deal with it and make new associations with that event as an adult. Uh, for me, it was, as a three-year-old, I, I was still carrying around uh, associations with that event as, a, as an adult, uh, but with a three-year-old uh, logic and judgment. So what I needed to do is look at it and relive it. And what I did is I relived it in my s at the subconscious level or in that alpha, alpha state. So you, for whatever your event might be, if it involves people or, or places or things, go back and reimagine it, reimagine it and relive it the way you wanted it to be. So for me, for example, I had the sore arm and the broken arm. I uh, could, uh, I'd go and see the nurses and the doctors actually being loving and caring towards me uh, instead of me being in pain and me making the association. I understood that the pain was from the break and then they were helping me and that uh, academic or smart people and doctors and nurses were kind and loving and gentle and they actually brought me pleasure and help me heal, not not bring me pain and, and cause me to uh, to try and avoid them. Uh, and you can also, if it's a particular person or something that might be a problem, like you can bring them into your passive scene and talk to them and hug them or forgive them or whatever you need to do that makes it work for you. Now that's the crash course, that uh, <laughs> crash course on how to do that, but um, uh, it gives you the basic ideas of what we what we've done um, in the past. So imagine applying that to money. You'd sit down and ask yourself the question, why do I have trouble with money or why do I have a blockage at earning over a certain amount or why can't I develop passive income? Ask any of those questions. But hold on to the emotion that's around that question. It's, it's the healing is in the feeling, as I've got a friend of mine uh, likes to say, the healing is in the feeling. 
So that's a, an overview, I guess, of the techniques that we've used over the last nearly 20 years of, uh, of applying this stuff to a whole range of areas, but uh, today we focus particularly on how we've applied it to um, finances. Thank you for listening to the Money Mindset podcast series. We hope you got awesome value. Find out even more strategies never revealed before on how to identify and remove your financial blocks at www.money-mind-set.com. We've also got interviews with some of the world's wealthiest minds revealing their formulas for success, plus tons of book summaries of the best business and success classics, proven strategies, and more than $5,000 worth of free bonuses, all for less than $50 a month. That site again www.money-mind-set.com This is Wes signing off, and remember, a wealthy mind equals a wealthy bank account.